12.45. Let's have some further conversation, shall we, about Mikhail Gorbachev. He died yesterday at the age of 91. There seems to be a split view here within Russia. Not many people have many fine things to say about him, and certainly the current leader and Mikhail Gorbachev were about as far apart on completely different pages, and they're in different libraries, I think, really, in terms of their world view. Uh, Westerners, of course, uh, view him much more favourably as somebody who put a halt, perhaps, to the risk of uh, global annihilation and the nuclear threat. Let's bring in Simon Marks, who's joining us from Washington, D.C., and say good morning to you. Simon, your reflections on Mikhail Gorbachev? Look, I think it was inevitable, Martin, that, as with every world leader, the record is checkered, and that's why you're seeing this very uh, mixed reaction. It was always inevitable, of course, uh, that Mikhail Gorbachev was going to be uh, more admired after his death in the West than he was in Russia. That's partly, of course, because, as the Kremlin uh, has said today, you know, he was a great statesman, but he had a dreamlike vision uh, of relations between the United States and the West that didn't work out. So that's very much in keeping with sort of Vladimir Putin's worldview, which absolutely conditions the message uh, that Russians uh, across multiple time zones will be receiving today through their state-controlled media. Uh, whereas in the West, he is uh, widely admired uh, as a man who broadly brought about the end of the Cold War. It's not entirely true, as some have said, that he brought about the end of the Cold War without bloodshed. There was bloodshed shed uh, within the borders of the Soviet Union. That's one of the reasons why the Lithuanians today uh, are finding it pretty difficult uh, to offer uh, particularly generous praise in Mikhail Gorbachev's direction. On his orders, uh, the Red Army killed protesters there. The same thing happened uh, in the Caucasus uh, in the struggle uh, for uh, the uh, future of the Soviet Union. Gorbachev having uh, come to power in 1985, uh, essentially saying to the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, you've got to reform or die. But then he found himself facing these uh, competing uh, sort of demands within the country. On the one hand, from communist hardliners, who, of course, in August of 1991, would go on to mount uh, an attempted, ultimately failed coup to dislodge him, but also the pent-up demand of ordinary Russians, who at the time were sort of craving blue jeans and rock and roll, and open borders, a chance for dissidents like Anatoly Sharansky and Andrei Sakharov, who were household names at the time uh, in the West to depart the Soviet Union. We had a statement last night from Joe Biden, who described Mikhail Gorbachev as a man of remarkable vision. I think it's important to underscore that President Biden, like a whole generation of older politicians here in Washington, D.C., you know, they, they were steeped in uh, personal experience of dealing uh, with the end of the Soviet Union and the rise of Boris Yeltsin after Mikhail Gorbachev uh, uh, passed from the scene, um, he says in uh, this statement, President Biden, that after decades of brutal political repression in the USSR, Gorbachev embraced democratic reforms. He believed in glasnost and perestroika, openness and re restructuring, not as mere slogans, but as the path forward for the people of the Soviet Union after so many years 
years of isolation and deprivation. And I think that's undoubtedly true. Um, listeners uh, of a certain age will remember that long before I was LBC's man in Washington, I was actually LBC's man in Moscow. Uh, and I had the opportunity in 1995, after he'd left office, four years after he'd left power, to interview Mikhail Gorbachev. He was uh, running a foundation in the city, mulling a possible return to the front lines of the political process. That, of course, never occurred. But he was absolutely determined, the day I interviewed him, uh, to make it apparent that he believed democracy and democratization within the Russian space needed to become absolutely irreversible. I believe that there is no doubt that Russia can become a dynamic, modern, stable nation that will be able to provide a decent standard of living for its people and uh, spiritual freedom, cultural freedom, only if it continues the democratic process. Well, how far we have strayed from all of that and what a, uh, an extraordinary contrast there is uh, between the broad approaches that Mikhail Gorbachev was taking when he ran things in Moscow and the approaches that Vladimir Putin is taking now. Indeed so. And what a hypothetical we could build of uh, Mikhail Gorbachev on the one side and Donald J. Trump on the other. Uh, but it's something we'll never know about. We are learning a little more, though, about his life and times, aren't we, Simon? We certainly are, and we're learning more about the Department of Justice inquiry uh, that appears now inexorably to be heading towards criminal charges for at least some people in Trump world, perhaps even the former president himself, because last night the Department of Justice put out more information about their decision to launch that raid earlier this month on the president's estate at Mar-a-Lago in Florida, making it clear that they believe that the Trump team was engaged, that they believed was likely engaged in an effort to conceal classified documents uh, that were on the Mar-a-Lago property in defiance of a grand jury subpoena. This is a 36-page filing that the Department of Justice released last night. It's accompanied by a photograph taken uh, during that raid of a whole slew of classified documents, and you can read on the covers of these documents very clearly that they are uh, of the highest security classification possible within the White House that they found secreted away in Mar-a-Lago and they argue in this filing uh, that there is evidence that government records were likely concealed and removed from the storage room in Mar-a-Lago where they'd been housed and that efforts were likely taken to obstruct the government's investigation. Now that is the clearest indication we've had yet that the Department of Justice is is building an obstruction of justice case possibly against former President Donald Trump, certainly against anybody who might have been involved in handling those records. And there's a, a, a new real problem arising from all of this for the former president, which is that the legal representatives that he's had, and he's found it very difficult to hire lawyers over the last month, but the lawyers that he's had working for him over the last month may themselves now become the focus of the Department of Justice inquiry, because if they have 
told falsehoods or are suspected of being engaged in a conspiracy to conceal those documents, at the very least, they're likely to be questioned by uh, Department of Justice investigators and they could themselves face charges. So Donald Trump may find himself in a situation where the lawyers he's only just hired have to separate themselves from him and then he's got to go out and buy another raft of lawyers because the first raft of lawyers will need lawyers themselves. It's going to get unbelievably complicated, very ugly, and all of this raises the political temperature in the country just a matter of weeks before those November midterm elections. Now, he's already 76 years old, I think, DJ Trump, um, and I gather that that is the average life expectancy in the United States now. That seems yeah. to be coming down, son. Startling figures that were published last night. The average life expectancy of Americans has now fallen to 76. That was for the year 2021. That is a loss of three years. It was in 2019 when Americans were told they could expect to live on average for 79 years. Now that number is down to 76. COVID-19, of course, and the death toll of over a million here since the COVID pandemic began uh, is a substantial piece of the puzzle explaining why those numbers have fallen. But it's not the entire piece of the puzzle. We're seeing statistics that show the fall in life expectancy is disproportionately impacting Native Americans uh, uh, who live, uh, of course, on the old native lands within the United States, but also particularly uh, Native Americans in Alaska. For them, life expectancy has now fallen to 65. And to put that into perspective, you have to go all the way back to 1944 to find a point where national life expectancy in the United States was 65. So that's how hard those communities have been hit. And there's also, you know, evidence that the absence of any kind of public health education campaigning by successive US governments is taking a toll with increased of course, in uh, drug overdoses, in heart disease, in liver disease, in obesity, all of those playing into these numbers. But, uh, you know, another hit, if you like, to the American psyche, the sort of brash self-confidence that we all usually associate with the United States, is that uh, report that Americans are waking up to today, uh, that uh, if they are approaching the age of 76, well, once they surpass it, they will be living longer than the average American. Sombering stuff indeed. Uh, Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Simon Marks reporting live from Washington, D.C.